0: Malachi chapter 2, verse number 1. And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I will have cursed them already, because you do not lay it to heart. "'Behold, I will corrupt your seed, and spread dung upon your faces,' that's graphic, but there's a point to that, "'even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of my life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me, and he was afraid before my name.' In other words, he respected me. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did not turn many away from iniquity. And did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye, speaking of the priests, are departed out of the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, said the Lord of hosts. Therefore, have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as you have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the night you've given. Lord, this time to assemble together as a church family. Lord, I pray the next few moments that, Lord, you would meet with us. Lord, the book of Malachi has so much relevant instruction for us. I I pray we'd see it and find it tonight, Uh, such a rich text. And so, Lord, help us to leave tonight having been enriched by it. Our, Our lives improved and, Lord, challenged because of these words that you spoke to these men so long ago. And I ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for standing. As we look at chapter 1, uh, chapter 1 of Malachi ended with the Lord engaged in this dialogue between Him and the people. The book of Malachi is really arranged in kind of set of hypothetical discussions between the Lord and His people. Um, these hypothetical discussions would be uh, the Lord speaking to this kind of idea or representation of the mentality of the Uh, the religious state of the nation as a whole. And so, there's just kind of back and forth, the Lord asking these people questions, them giving these answers. Uh, Again, there's no specific one person answering, but it is the spirit, the mood of the people that God is engaged in. And He he begins this conversation where, you know, where is your love for me? And then He he talked about His love for the people. And then He gets to this idea of, you know, where is your respect for me? And that they are not showing respect. In Malachi chapter 1, God lamented the fact, the reality that His people were refusing in their worship specifically to show Him any honor and respect. The people in the way they lived, the way they came to church, the offerings that they gave, literally the physical offerings they were giving, they, they, sh- they, sh- they failed to show love. They failed to honor the Lord. Um, this was proven by the inferior quality of like the little sheep given of the grain offerings given. These were not even things that would be representative of a, of a good tip. What they were offering the Lord was, was unworthy of who he is. They failed to have a heart for him beyond just a worship that was corrupt in its activity. Their attitudes, uh, were contemptible before the Lord. They, they failed to honor him, which was manifest, um, in these attitudes of disrespect, of disdain. Uh, we talked about the, the people were literally huffing and puffing at having to present offerings. They, they felt like God's ordinances were unreasonable. Um, you know, a contemporary way of maybe showing to say when someone's asking something of us we don't want to do, we, we roll our eyes. And that's what the people were literally doing at the offerings that the Lord was asking them to bring. They just thought all of it uh, unreasonable. So throughout chapter 1, God reasoned with them. And He asks a set of logical questions that they could have related to as a group of people. He looks upon their offerings, what they would have brought to the temple, and He says this, "Would, would you bring this kind of offering if you were a guest at the governor's house? If you were going someplace to show honor to someone who who had invited you, would would you would you bring a lamb that was blind? Would you would you bring a sheep that was lame? Would you bring an animal that was diseased and discarded? And the answer here is obvious. Well, it's of course you wouldn't. The answer is no. He moves to another area. I have to understand. Would 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 a father? Um, not be upset if his son showed him disrespect, if a son failed to honor him. Would you, as a, as a son to your father, show contempt and disdain? Now, in our culture, the answer might not be as immediate as it was to them, but in their culture, that was an absolute no-no. People revered their family. They, they, showed, they showed great respect. And, and God's saying, you know, as sons, you would honor your fathers, but I'm the Lord. I, I'm the governor. I, I'm a dad. And you show me no respect. Then he asked him, would you receive uh, an offering that was defiled, that was given with a hesitant, angry attitude? I mean, now just literally picture this tonight. If I had a gift for you tonight, and I presented it to you, and I literally resented giving it to you, and I made it obvious on my face, and, and I did it with disdain, and well, you want a gift, here it is. Would you receive that? And the answer is, the gift, no matter what it was, would probably be, you know, not very well received. We would all relate to this. And so, God says, am I not worthy as a great master, governor, uh, father, and king? Uh, What you're giving is is not worthy. And so, the question we asked last week, is what we're giving, is what we're giving worthy? Is the way we treat others, you know, worthy of God's love for them? Is the way we treat our family of, you know, the responsibility that God's has entrusted to us is the way we treat our spouse worthy of the oath that we have taken. And so these unworthy, contemptible offerings um, were doing two things to these people. Obviously, it was causing them to forfeit a blessing. Here were people that God was engaged in a covenant relationship with. In, in the covenant it kind of worked this way. God says, I'll, I'll do my part. I'll love you. I'll bless you. I'll take care of you. And for your part in the covenant and the promise, I want you to honor me, respect me, and, and follow me. Um, and, and, and they were doing none of that. So, the, basically they were divorcing themselves from the covenant. And so, by failing to honor God, they were forfeiting the blessings that they could have had. But more than that, they weren't just moving themselves to a the place of neutrality, they were really taking themselves even from neutrality to, to a place of cursing. By dishonoring God, they were inviting negative circumstances into their life. And as we shall see in a moment, they were inviting negative circumstances and consequences into the lives of others. It was a, this was a great sin. And so God was confronting this in the people. But then we talked about last week There's another great sin in view in chapter 1. Okay, so um, it would be one thing for all of you to come to church tonight, and as a church family for us to huff and puff through the singing, right? That, that would be offensive to God. And it would be wrong for us that when it was time to take an offering if nothing was given. And if what was given was, you know, you gave five cents and you make five million dollars, you get the idea. That's a bad on all of you. But the second great offense here was God was looking at the priests, and He was saying basically, how can you let this happen? You're supposed to be the the gatekeeper. You're the doorkeeper. You're you're, the one who's supposed to facilitate my worship. You're the one who has the law. You're the one who is responsible. You, you, man, you, you have to receive these offerings. And you are receiving them. And more than receiving them, then you're facilitating the offerings by actually offering them to the Lord. And so the Lord's looking at these leaders and saying, how can you do this? How can you be as contemptible as a people, and in some ways, I- even in a greater uh, kind of responsibility because you know the law in a greater way than, maybe they, than they do? You're complicit in that you're receiving a kind of worship that you know I can't receive. And so this question is going to asked: is there not anybody in the church who'll stop this? Is there not anybody in the church who will go to the back doors and, and bar them and say, no more of this kind of offense to God? Is there somebody who will stand up and, and say, as a group of people, we have a responsibility to, to worship Him and stop doing this? We discussed last week then, you know, this solemn responsibility to protect uh, God's people, which is part of mine and, and is shared with you, to honor Him by all of us doing right. So, if we look at chapter 2, that same grand theme of contemptible worship and a failure on the part of the leadership to to protect worship is continued in chapter 2. So, chapter 2 continues with this, and most specifically, especially as it relates to the offenses of the priest, and then we'll make application for all of us tonight. And so, look with me if you would in verse number 1, and uh, I'm going to talk about my jacket here, just a. It's probably about 15 degrees hotter up here than it is down there. So that's what I'll say. In chapter one, again, the Lord um, is leveling legal uh, accusation against the actions and the poor attitude of the people, and most specifically, of the priests. He says, Oh, now, oh, you priests, this commandment is for you. Okay, Those of you who are leading in worship, um, those of you who are not protecting worship, what I'm going to say, this is specifically for you. You know the law. Um, you have it written before you, but you're refusing to listen. You have proper, you have a book in front of you, and it tells you what to do, but you will not lay it to heart. OK? There's something I'm saying. Now now some of us who are parents. You know, uh, we may have experienced with our kids that sometimes we're saying something to them, they know what we're saying, but we can look at them and say, we would understand, I don't think they're laying this to heart. You know, we could be teaching a class to a group of people, and uh, you know, you're, 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 you're preaching, you're not preaching, you're teaching, and you're looking at their eyes, and you're thinking, they're not hearing me, and they're not laying this to heart. Now, I can offer this tonight, everyone here is hearing me and laying this to heart, I know. But you, we all can relate to that, right? We've we, we maybe been there. We, we see it in, in other people. And God's looking at these priests and saying, you know what's right, but you're not listening. And it's more disappointing that you're not laying it to heart. You're not even considering it. You're not contemplating it. You're not meditating. Like, I don't even see you wrestling with this. Like, you know the truth, but there's no internal angst within you at all. You're not laying to heart, you're you're not glorifying my name. You know you're supposed to, you know this is is the obligation. And there's this reference to a special covenant that God had with these priests. And that they knew their obligations and yet they still were not fulfilling it. They were refusing to hold up the law of God as outlined in His Word. And as related in the covenant that He had with this, this tribe of Levi many, many years ago. They were not honoring Him in the offerings with their flocks. They were receiving these these lame offerings. They were allowing the people to do things that were that were really sacrilegious. They were instead accepting and facilitating faulty worship. And so they were not doing right and laying it to heart. And so God says this, verse one, it's the idea I've already mentioned. I I am literally gonna stop the blessing. Um, you're not living in a way that I can reward you. And he goes on to say more than that, not only can I not do that, but I, I am going to take you from the place of neutrality and I'm going to curse your blessings. Instead of just removing the blessings, you, because you have such responsibility to know the truth, I, I am going to allow you to experience what the covenant people wouldn't, and, and that is the curse. And so there's a lot implied here. I'm going to remove your blessings. God is saying that your specific source of blessing, the, the water that's been running, I'm turning off the faucet. But more than that, I'm going to create a drought for you. And they were doing some of this to themselves. Okay, I'm going to get my head out of stuff of a principle here, but the, the Levites um, had had no; they didn't work outside the temple. They had no land. There was no provision of inheritance for them. The Levites earned their living off the offerings that were given. You with me? So there's a portion. So this guy gives a sheep. So a portion of that sheep, of course, the best part goes to the Lord. But a portion of that sheep went to the Levites. Okay, so just think about how broken this is. So by allowing lame, diseased, faulty, blind sheep, whatever else, coming out of the discards... (laughs) they were literally accepting for themselves an inferior gift. And you know, and you ever heard the phrase, you give an inch, they'll take a mile? What the Lord's is basically saying is, this is going to get worse, and it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse, until you have, guess what? Nothing. And, and you think you're being nice, you, you think you're gaining the favor of the people. By failing to be respectful, these offerings are going to stop altogether. And then you're going to find yourself without anything. You're going to lose your place as priest, and then where are you going to go? You have no land to work. You have no jobs to do. And so God's really saying, you you are hurting yourself in a way you can't imagine. You are cutting off the source of your own blessing, and you're inviting a curse through these practices. So in a way God is saying, this makes no sense. You're allowing the very meager end to come by tolerating the poor worship that you had the power to correct. You know, this is a side note. I don't have time. I don't want to jump on a hobby horse because I already don't don't have any. But um, (laughs) you know, I see preachers do this all the time. And you know, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's like this little pressure you can feel. Well, you know, if we would just not hold this, this standard or this rope so tight, and we just eased up a bit, well then maybe more people would be happy, maybe more people would come to church, you follow me? And, and so we start doing all these, and I'm not against innovation, you know my heart, but you get the idea and the principle. We're going to acquiesce to these things thinking we're going to gain a larger audience. And we might for a little bit just to find out that in a few years we went from this to this to this. Because it's contemptible. You're losing respect. You're no longer holding the, the word of God. And that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really short-sighted way to do things. The best way to do things is just to do things right. That's the, even when it's hard, do things right. Even when it makes, doesn't make sense sometimes, do things right. I, I understand we can have some cultural sensitivity, but it can never violate this word. And these men were violating the word of God. And so, it was, it was a horrible set of consequences. And they were inviting them. But, but there's another thing that's happening to them that, that's just so sad. Verse 3, he says, behold, I will corrupt. The word in the Hebrew means to rebuke or to cause consequences to come upon. Behold, I will corrupt, rebuke, cause consequences to come upon your seed, your children, your family. And I'll spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts. And one shall be taken away with it. The Lord's saying this is your, your violations um, they're gonna hurt you, they're gonna disgrace you, but they're gonna hurt and disgrace your family too, and a future generation. The idea of dung here, like where does this come from? Evidently, when, a, when an offering was presented, there were parts that were unclean. So, you know, animals was was, um, it's, it's guts, it's pertinence, whatever. You know, they would take the unclean part, that would be the intestines and the stomach, and they'd take that outside the camp. That, that went to an unholy place. But the priests were evidently not, they were just given a pass on that. You with me? So, literally, the dead animal, okay, They were working with dung. You follow me? It was was on them. And it was was, was like all of a sudden, you're looking and going, like the violation now becomes real. It's right there. You follow me? It's like, oh, now it's on my face. And God says, I'm going to spread you're not recognized as an offense, but I'm gonna make it so obvious that the people, one day they're just gonna look at you and go, oh, that's all wrong. Like, that's gonna come for you. Like, you ought to see this. But they they weren't getting it, but God says a day's coming when they're gonna, they're gonna highlight this stuff on you and the people are gonna see it. Verse four and the next few verses, I think five and six, the Lord says, this is how you're acting. But there was a day that I, I entered into a covenant with Levi, your ancestor, where all this started. And, and your ancestors, Aaron, he, he loved me. They, they honored me. And because they loved and honored me, I initiated this covenant. And I, I chose this tribe, this group of people to forever be those who would serve in my temple. And it's like he's showing this, this great sign curve. And there was a day up here that your forefathers served me with all their heart, and they taught the truth. And as a result of them teaching the truth, the people prospered, and they prospered. But you're the antithesis of all that. You're you're like the bottom of the curve. You're you're doing these things, and you're 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 not communicating truth. You're not honoring me. There was a day when iniquity was not on the priest's mouth, but it's on yours. There was a day that they walked in integrity, but not you. There was a day when they taught people, and they prospered, but not you. The Lord's saying that you aren't doing what I called you as a group of people to do. You're not speaking truth. And people don't have the truth because you won't speak it. And the message that you are saying is corrupt. And we're saying it's making everyone go out of the way. Like you're supposed to be instructed in the way of truth. But these people are you're allowing them to do, to do bad offerings, and some know and some don't. And, and, you, and you, there's, there's parts of, the, of my word that you're choosing to say, and some part you're not choosing to say because it's hard or you're afraid you're going to offend them. And, I'm, and now I'm, 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 app- I'm showing application here, but you get the idea. People aren't walking in truth because you're not speaking it. And it goes on to say, you're causing them to stumble. Those who don't have the light stumble in the dark, they're not safe, they don't have a guide. There's no light. And the way you're conducting church is leaving a trail of devastation now and in the, and in the future. And, and so this is this is the offense that God is leveling, the accusation, the um, you know, his legal argument against the priest and the people. It's a there's a lot of here of individual texts that we could we could work on. But I think two things, if we have time, I-, I want to bring to your attention in terms of application of the big ideas here. And the first one is this, and this is something everyone in this room can make application of. Here it is When we fail, when you fail to honor God, when we fail to live for Him, the consequences of that failure land on a larger audience than ourselves okay when I choose to do wrong I have dung on my face from the text when I do wrong I lose blessing when I do wrong I can invite a curse we all understand that right and if you live it in any proximity to me my implosion may hurt you too. Does that make sense? Okay, if I stand behind this pulpit and I don't teach you the truth, if I don't speak the Word of God, okay, I'm inviting judgment on myself, am I not? But guess who else is suffering? Everyone who's listening. I choose not to give my greatest effort to being a husband. Okay, that's just my choice. Yeah, it is. And guess who else, get hurts? who else gets hurt in that? Well, Terry would. And let's say I stopped making church a priority. And let's say that you know I never demonstrated to my kids that tithing was important. And I, and I, I never really taught them that they should honor God. Yeah, that's just work for me. You know, it's it's hard for me. And if I, if I never made them total line, if I if I never had any expectations for them. You know, you could just I could just say, well, you know, that's just what that's the choice I'm making. But I am corrupting my seed. I I am my my family are suffering the consequences of my choices. Because I'm not doing What I'm supposed to do is clear in the text by allowing and engaging in defiled worship. They were bringing a curse on themselves and they were forfeiting a blessing. Sin always has personal consequences for us. We will always live diminished lives by neglecting any truth. When we engage in error, depending on what it is, we're going to incur a wound and dishonor. As the Bible says, our sins will find us out. And I've talked this repeatedly. It's not so much that someone's going to look at you and go, aha, you did this bad. It's not that idea at all. The idea is this. If you lie and you lie and you lie, guess what you become? You become a liar. If you you live hypocritically over and over and over, it's not that you're doing something hypocritical. Your sins find you out. They, They make you what you are. You become the hypocrite. When you work with dung, you're going to have it on you. Your sins will find you out. Does that make sense? It's always going to be true for us. We will become defined by our sins if we don't repent and get these things made right. That's why it's so important that we confess our sins to the Lord and let Him cleanse us of unrighteousness. Otherwise, they become part of who we are. But the text describes broader implications than that. That when we do wrong, we corrupt those within our sphere of influence. And I want us to stop and think about the, the sobriety and responsibility of that tonight. Every dad, every mom, every teacher, every coach, every aunt, every uncle, every grandparent needs to understand this truth of failure in your life can have a contributory effect on the failures in other people's lives. Well, I taught them, I told them, I said things with words. <laughs> well, that's one way of communicating. And the other's with our lives. What's the old saying? Preach the gospel and use words if necessary. You with me? Tramp a child the way he should go? and use words if necessary, or otherwise, live it. Show them the example. Show them what a good attitude looks like. Show them what loving um, their wife looks like. Show them what going to church looks like. Show them the good spirit after church. Act excited about your chance to serve the Lord. Be involved in outreach. Be involved in a ministry. You can teach that, you can say that, you can even drag them to church, but unless you live out these things in a dynamic way, hmm. that's that's one of the the, the great things that's being leveled these men, you guys are going through the motions. I said, bring a sacrifice and, and you do, but look at it. You come to church, but look how you leave. You're no different, you never repent. You gripe about the preaching, the service was too long. No one ever says that, but the service was too long. Don't like that special, and then we wonder why our kids grow up and have a, an indifferent a or apathetic, even a negative attitude about church. Can I tell you nothing, nothing trumps relationship and nothing trumps example. We all are so confused, well, why they, what, what why these things? I don't know. But it might be good to, to look at the life and not just the words, not just our intents, but our deeds. In the text, these men were involved in persistent sin. They forfeited privileges, and, and the Lord's saying, you're going you're gonna to cause yourself to lose this, and you're going to lose this too. And that's, it's a big deal. When a man or a woman hurts themselves... They get themselves a wound and dishonor. If they're not careful, they're going to do to other people as well. A corrupt politician hurts his constituents. A corrupt coach hurts his team. A bad pastor hurts his church. This is a serious call to reflection to all of us, for everyone who's a friend, for everyone who's who's you know goes through life with this. Let's make sure that we're not bringing to those relationships, a lame life, a lame attitude, a lame spirit. Let's not let the poison in our lives leak out to others. Matter of fact, let's just eliminate the poison. And we, we need to do right. Verse 3 makes this clear. Look are with me. Behold, I will corrupt your seed. Verse 8, but you are departed out of the way and you have caused many to stumble. Again, I think it's such application for parents. Live in such a way that your family will love like you love, give like you give, honor like you honor, serve like you serve, and share your attitude. Because you cannot give what you do not possess. We can try, but remember no man is an island unto himself. Which leads me to the second thought very quickly. I realize that all too often we engage in behavior, we all know what this is like, that is self-defeating. We do things that we know are harmful and for whatever reasons we continue in them. Um, Verse 3 makes us kind of clear that we engage in behavior that can't be blessed and not just can't be blessed, but in time can actually cause us to suffer really bad consequences. Um, in verse 5, we, we were going to forfeit the life that Aaron had, uh, Levi, a life of peace and goodness. And so, the text, the priests failed to realize that. And they were looking for evidently short-term solutions to larger problems. And, and so, they were sowing to themselves seeds of long-term demise, let me let me tell you an illustration that I think most of you can relate to. Uh, you, some of you have little kids. Some of us have to remember when we had little kids, and uh, they're a challenge, are they not? Little kids, and they're in all the stuff, and correcting them and guiding them is work, right? It can be exhausting, and um, and sometimes it's just inconvenient, right? You're doing stuff, people around. It's just like, not again. (laughs) You know, anybody understand what I'm saying? So in that moment, there's this temptation to let it go. And to let this go. And then we just keep letting it go. Okay, listen. You're not letting it go. You're just forwarding that to repay you in a much larger way in the future. In other words, you're, you're, you're... you're sweeping on the rug, sweeping on the rug, but one day someone's going to actually lift the rug. And this is what the Levites are doing. As I've already mentioned, there were a lot of these lame offerings and their offerings were getting worse, and they didn't realize by continuing in this practice that they were destroying their own lives, that they, that they, weren't, they weren't getting it. Sometimes making life easier in the moment does it make life easier in the long term? We're actually securing, and guaranteeing things will be harder in the future. Again, preachers do this in trying to accommodate the masses and pleasing people. They engage in short-term, you know, things for a crowd, but almost guaranteeing in the process of hurting the church in the future. I, I'll give an app, you know, I'm, I'm not dogmatic about this stuff, but, but this is what I've watched. So I, I watch churches and. They get bigger and bigger, and, uh, and so what happens is it gets harder and harder to sustain certain percentages, you know, maybe like the same number of people in Sunday school, um, Well, they have more attenders you know, than, than visitors, or whatever the problem is, and so all of a sudden it just dawns on somebody they have this really good idea, and the good idea is this, you know, and by the way, everybody can empathize with this, yeah, it'd, it'd just be nice if we didn't have to have church on Sunday night, okay. Now look, there's nothing spiritual or even biblical about Sunday night service, okay? No, whatever, okay. We do it. We've done it for a long time. It's a form of commitment. It's a form of commitment, okay? I, I like it. I like it for different reasons. I like it because when we come back, you know, it's the spirit is a little bit different on Sunday nights. We're freer. There are people who can be here who, who cannot. The church family engages. It's just more dynamic. There's just, it's a different service. But it's a really good... Minded preachers say, well, you know, if we just, if we got rid of that, people would be rested and more people will come back next Sunday morning. Now, look, I'm not being mean and I'm not really being condemning. I'm talking about a principle, okay? I don't want to have a smug attitude about it because that's not the point. It's not sacrosanct to have a Sunday night service. But here's the deal, in letting up a little bit of rope here, you think it's going to get better. It doesn't. And almost inevitably, the church shrinks in time rather than grows in time. And so they just accommodate all these, all these little changes because it's easier. And I'm not talking about, these people are violating the word of God in a big way. But I'm trying to articulate a principle to you. And so in time, they're actually making things harder on themselves in the church. I'm not saying there's, in time, you have to be thoughtful and accommodating and, and those kind of things. But there's just times that we give away too much because it's easy in the moment but then we have a bigger battle in the future. And that's just not worth it. So many times we're actually undermining our future by, by not giving our best effort in the moment. I mean, it's like, it's like someone who won't, they're, 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 they're trying to be fit. It's what they want, but then they, they don't go to the gym, they don't go to the gym, they don't go to the gym, and they gain more and more weight. And then it just gets harder and harder and harder with every acquiescence, instead of just buckling down and saying, I'm going to do it. And it's harder, I get it. Being faithful is hard. Correcting our kids all the time is hard. But you know, the day comes when with those hard efforts come blessing and reward and riches. When we abandon any good, right, or hard thing in the moment, we're probably sowing seeds of a crop of disaster in the future. And that may be overstated, but the idea is there. If you neglect the oil in your car, you're going to ruin your engine. If you fail to weed the garden, the weeds in your garden, you're going to lose your crop. If you forfeit a payment, then another one, and then another one, you're probably going to lose your home. And all of a sudden, we cannot just forfeit a blessing, but we can invite a curse. So, I'll end. My encouragement is this: is don't give up on what's hard and right, just because it's hard. The problem will only grow and magnify in time. If something's worth doing, it's worth doing. And God will reward it. Because what is forfeited today will probably find you in the long term. So, let's be the opposite of this. When God, we hear something, let's do something with it. When we feel impressed to lay it at the heart, let's actually do that. Let's protect the truth. Let's let's speak it for ourselves. Let's live it for our family and for each other here in the church. Let's realize, and I don't even have time for this, that we represent the Lord, verse 7. We're His messengers. And if we don't live right, we may have a part in causing others to fall out of the way. We have a big responsibility. All right, let me ask you to stand tonight, if you would.